As the WNBA tips off its 26th season, we're delighted to have with us today the league's 2018 Rookie of the Year and its 2020 Most Valuable Player. It is my pleasure to welcome the stylish, high-scoring forward for the Las Vegas Aces, Asia Wilson. Asia, it's so great to have you on Game Time. It's great to see you. Good to see you as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great. So you're embarking now on your fifth WNBA season and your first with Becky Hammond as a head coach. So what are your impressions so far of her? Oh, man, Becky's great. Uh, she is a player's coach, and I love that she just kind of lays the foundation down for us, and she just lets us play. She knows that we're pros at what we do, and she allows us to pick each other's brain. But her basketball IQ is out of this world, and I'm so glad that I can be coached by her this year. You know, you know, it's amazing, Asia, that everybody had her on a short list to be a, an NBA coach. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, I know she had a, uh, a you know, she has a, a, I guess, a relationship with the franchise out of San Antonio that now relocates to Las Vegas and everything else. Yes. Were you surprised when you heard that she was going to be your coach? Um, yes and no, obviously, because I was like, dang, she has a lot on her plate because she was the next. I mean, when you're coaching behind someone like a pop, uh, you know, your next step is so much greater. So uh, I was definitely surprised. But then when I realized there's the, the camaraderie that she already built with the San Antonio Stars to now us uh, because we bought them, uh, it, it wasn't a surprise at all. So we're glad to have her on board. You know, you lost one of your best teammates, Liz Cambage, to the Sparks. Is that going to be a big blow to you guys? Uh, I, I'm not really sure until we really get out there, but I think we're, we have a lot of pieces to our puzzles that we're fully capable of doing uh, what we've been doing, and that's being just great elite basketball players and good at what we do. So it's always tough when you lose people. I mean, we lost a great vet in Angel McCarthy as well, uh, but they're doing something that's for them, uh, and we're going to do stuff that's for us. So uh, I, I'm happy for them either way. I said 26th season for the WNBA, and I don't necessarily know that it's ever been as popular as it is today. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing significant growth in your league? Yeah, for sure. Just from my rookie year to now, it's been crazy just how people are really starting to notice us. I mean, I see my people tag me in pictures of my jerseys um, a lot more frequently than they have before. And I love that. The growth of our game is growing. Um, it's expanding across the board. And we just got to keep pushing that needle, keep climbing up to the mountaintop because we're not done yet. And I try to do whatever I can to make sure that I plant a seed for the next generation so it never dies down. You know, interesting, Commissioner Kathy Engelbert has said that the collective bargaining agreement now allows her to double top players' salaries with special marketing incentives. She also believes the upcoming broadcasting rights deal will be a game changer. Are you buying into all this? Uh, we're going to see. We're going to see. I really want to. My fingers are crossed. Anytime that it, it, it involves us growing and, of course, our pockets growing as well, uh, I'm always for it. I'm always behind it 100%. But it takes time. I think people tend to fail to realize how young our league really is. I mean, we're 26 years old. That's pretty young when you think about it. So the progression that we've made up to this point, it's big. So I'm always behind that stuff uh, if it means that it's increasing my wallet, but also viewership. <laughs> Asia. I know that your true first love was football. Didn't you want to be a quarterback? I did. I really wanted to be a quarterback until I signed up for this, like, co-ed thing, and I read, like, you could be paralyzed. And I said, Mom, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we were on our way to, like, academy sports to pick up, like, pads and stuff, and I, like, read it through. And I was just like, yeah, I don't think this is for me anymore. So, yeah, I gave that up quickly. <laughs> and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but left-handers make great QBs. <laughs> Dang it, I missed my calling. <laughs> yes, you did. You know, you also took ballet and tap, you played volleyball and soccer, you even swam and did karate while yes. you were younger. Everything but basketball. So how did your dad actually coax you back into the sport? 
Man, uh, I absolutely hated basketball because the people that I knew played it were just terrible people. Like they were just mean bullies. And I was like, is it the sport that makes them like this? And I'm all, I was also a child where I was like a super girly girl. I didn't want to sweat too much. So my dad was kind of side-eyeing me because my brother took the music, the musician side. And I, my dad was like, all right, you got to be my athletic <laughs> one. And I was not doing it at all. So he would always wake me up at like Saturday morning to go to these practices. And I would just sit there with an attitude like I don't want to be here. But then I made the team. And um, I just started watching my friends just fall in love with it. Like when we won that feeling, I wanted to be a part of it. So I bought my first, well, they bought me my first basketball goal. And I just started watching it. It was on every TV and I fell in love with it. Well, you know what, your parents enrolled you in a private school and you were only a few, a handful of black students in that school. So what kind of yeah. stress did that create for you? It was very difficult uh, because it seemed as if I was living two lives because when I went with my AAU team, uh, it was predominantly black. It was just that. And then when I went to high school, when I went to elementary school, middle school, all of that, I was around a lot of white people. So I felt like I could never find myself until maybe high school. I was like, I'm tired of code switching. I'm tired of wearing this mask. Like I have to be a certain way around my, my friends. So it did cause a lot of stress through my adolescent years, but it also made me realize who I am. And it put me in a situation where it's like, you're going to get this Asia, either take it or leave it. It's not going to bother me either way. So it kind of matured me in a way. So I'm, I'm grateful to be, be able to say that I went to Heathwood for all 12 years uh, of my life, and I had a lot of fun. Well, maybe you have a better perspective than most people. That's the way I would yeah. look at it. And by the way, I don't know if our, our audience knows this, but you were America's number one prospect coming yeah. out of high school. You could have went anywhere. You could have went to UConn with Gino Oriema. You could have went to yeah. Tennessee. You could have went to Stanford. But you yeah. chose to stay home at South Carolina. Why? Uh, Don Staley. Uh, between Don Staley and my grandmother, I'm a family girl through and through. Um, and I feel like if, if – Coach Staley could have been anywhere. I probably still would have went there, but she just so happened to be in my backyard. And I knew I wanted my family to be there. And especially when it came to my grandmother, having that opportunity for her to come watch me play in my only game that she's ever witnessed me play, uh, it really meant a lot. And just to have the community around us 100% and Coach Staley's loyalty throughout my rec recruitment was a big step for me. So South Carolina was it. Well, I got to tell you, they're pretty happy in South Carolina. We'll return with a woman who holds a mind-boggling, get this folks, 86 University of South Carolina women's basketball records. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Right after these messages. Wow, 86. That's, that is insane. <laughs> Wilson decided to attend the University of South Carolina, her mom Ava said, as a mother and as a black mother, I always wanted Asia to be coached by a black female in college. To have her play under Dawn Staley was divine intervention. And in high school, you were diagnosed with dyslexia. So how did Coach Staley help you deal with that condition? Yeah, so once I got to college, uh, of course, everything gets harder <laughs> in the classroom, on the court, across the board. And um, with dyslexia, it was very tough because I was this high profile athlete and everyone wanted to know what I was going to do next. But also, I didn't want people to know that I had a weakness, which was my dyslexia at the time. And so Coach Daly would, before shoot around, she would make me read the prayer every single game on the road, at home. And it wasn't just your normal prayer. It was like three paragraphs of a prayer. And I would get really annoyed because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm stumbling over words. My teammates 
exclamation roll in her eyes, like it's whatever. But I didn't know that she was literally helping me with my dyslexia by reading aloud and constantly reading stuff. So it really helped me in that way. And the resources that I got throughout the years of South Carolina were incredible. I got a pen that took, that recorded my professors. So if I stopped taking notes, I could still have my professor's uh, voice and I could go play them back. So the resources that they have for me were incredible. And I don't think I would be able to even have this conversation with you, Boomer, if I didn't have these resources. So I have to credit them uh, and especially my mom for making sure that I had everything I need to succeed. All right, tell us about the other strong woman in your life, your grandmother, Hattie Rakes. Tell me yeah. about her. <laughs> oh my gosh, my grandmother, uh, Hattie Rakes, was my rock. She was my my backbone, everything in between. I have her tatted on my wrist. Um, I lost her in 2016, and it was really, really a tough year for me uh, because she was my why. I wanted to give up basketball. I had no use of playing it because my why was gone. Uh, but I also remember that she instilled so much within me of just being a powerful woman uh, and a powerful woman, excuse me, that can take care of her business. And that woman means the world to me through and through. Like I said, I was so happy she got a chance to see me play. She hated watching me play because she didn't know that the defense was allowed to like hit me or foul me. <laughs> she thought they just did it because they didn't like me. So she could never watch, but she would always like, I would go by after every game and she's like, oh, I see you with your double-double. I'm like, what you know about that? <laughs> so uh, it was super cool just to share those moments. And she allowed me to be Asia instead of Asia Wilson. And that's what I love most about it. Oh, that's great. You know, you brought South Carolina their first ever national championship, but you beat Mississippi State and uh, it's just, it's, it had to be something really, really special for you, Asia. I would imagine with Dawn Staley, you, your history, the state, the school and everything else. What was that like? Man, it was incredible. I feel like it's a moment that always plays back in my head when I play big games because it was such a moment where no one expected us to be make it that far. Uh, we lost our big center, Elena Coates, that, se that season. Uh, the year before that, my grandmother passed. It was a lot of adversity just that whole year, and I don't think people expected us to do that. And just to share that moment with Coach Daly and, and my teammates is incredible, and I will never be able to go to Dallas and not smile and have that just have that feeling again because it was just so special. You know, we talked about 86 college records. It was ridiculous. You, you swept every college award that there was. But the University of South Carolina had a very special surprise in store for you. And this usually doesn't happen while somebody's living, at least not, not right. nobody in my life. A statue right. outside of uh, Colonial Life Arena. Uh, how amazing was that to see that unveiled on Martin Luther King Day back in 2021? Man, it was incredible. Like, I remember when they first started mentioning it, I thought it was a joke because people would tweet at me like, oh, Asia needs a statue. And I'm like, whatever, like, it's Twitter. And then that's when Coach Taylor was like, well, I'm going to lay this amount down to get it up. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? And I had an opportunity to go to Chicago and actually see the mold of it. And it was just incredible to watch it just unveil. And it's crazy because, like I said, I said in my speech, like, that campus – it didn't allow my grandmother to walk across it. No. And now there's a statue of her granddaughter standing there. That's it, It's immortalized. And like you said, normally people don't get statues till they're like, or they're on their way out. So I was right. like, I get to enjoy this moment. Like I get to see young boys and girls bring their basketballs up and read, do the pose and their parents are taking like, my parents drive by it every day before they go to work and my dad's like FaceTiming me or he'll take a picture and I'm like, I have like a hundred pictures of you in front of this statue, dad. <laughs> but to have them live that moment and myself, it's, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah, I think your speech uh, in invoking your grandmother and her 
experiences when she was a young black woman on that or not being able to walk on that campus was amazing. It was emotional and certainly hit the right tone. You know, Asia, in your first year, of course, you're named Rookie of the Year of the WNBA because yeah. that's what you do. You just win all the awards. Were you surprised that you were able to ramp it up to speed uh, that quickly? I was. I was very, very surprised because, I mean, I, I just didn't know. I didn't know what to expect. And the fear of the unknown was there. It was just like screaming out to me because I'm like, okay, these women are better, quicker, faster, stronger, bigger than me. And it's just like, how can I still lay a, like, a foundation down for myself in this league and to be one of the best? And that's what I'm going to try to continue to do. So I was very surprised by that because our league is pretty, pretty good. <laughs> no, it's really good. As a matter of fact, in your second year, you led Las Vegas to uh, – their first uh, uh, playoffs, I think, in five years. And then the COVID-shortened 2020 season, you guys made it to the finals. Unfortunately, you got yeah. swept by Seattle and Subert. Yeah. You know, they're really good, by the way. <laughs> uh, I would imagine that was crushing. I lost the Super Bowl when I played in it. I couldn't sleep for about three weeks. Yes, <laughs> it was. It's the, it's like the worst feeling ever. I don't know. I can't even explain it. But like, I just try to make sure that my teammates never feel the way that I felt in that bubble. Like it was so I couldn't eat. I was just like this. It, there's no way that like this happened. But it's a growing period. Uh, you learn from it. It's a big, great lesson that I love to have. And I continue to have that chip on my shoulder. You know, how surprised were you when the WNBA commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, walked into a team meeting of all places and handed you the MVP award? I was blown away. I'm not even going to lie, because I was doing interviews like that whole day and it was just like drowning. Like I was just like, whatever, like same thing. We were actually supposed to have a referees meeting and I was just like, good, I can cuss some of these refs out, like speak my mind. <laughs> and all of a sudden Kathy walks up and I'm like, oh my God, this day's just getting just longer and longer by the minute. And then she starts reading off my stat, and I can't even tell you what she said after that because I just started crying uh, because that's what it just really hit me. Um, and I didn't even know if my teammates were in on it. It was just a crazy moment. But I was really, really surprised um, because, once again, no one expected us to be like that in the bubble. And I couldn't have wanted anything without my teammates that year. They, they helped me out more than they probably even imagined. So it was definitely a year to remember. You know, it's amazing that you you mentioned the bubble because in the Players' Tribune, you wrote an essay and yeah. you revealed in that bubble in Florida that you were suffering from a bout of depression. Uh, yes. You know, and what message were you trying to convey to everybody just like opening yourself up like that? Uh, the biggest message is showing people that I'm human. I think people tend to look at us uh, athletes and think, oh, they're perfect at what they do. They can get anything that they want. They're this, that, and the third. And they forget that we're human at the end of the day. We feel we feel our feelings, but at the same time, we're kind of, it's kind of, you're hesitant to be vulnerable because nowadays people can just take it and destroy it. So I wanted to really show people that, yes, you may see me on the court and I may look this way, but at the end of the day, I still go through stuff. It's still tough for me. Uh, and the bubble was definitely a turning point in my life. Uh, I'm, I couldn't stand the bubble, but actually I feel like I came out a better woman. So I give my praises to the bubble sometimes. <laughs> All right, we'll take a quick time out and then return to explore some of Asia's many off-the-court success stories. Yeah, that's right. She's got a ton of them right after this. This moment is bigger than me, said Asia Wilson, as a larger-than-life bronze statue of her was unveiled at her alma mater last year. We just spoke about that. This moment is for every girl who was told she wasn't enough. Now, you said that uh, you're going to be a voice for the voiceless, Asia, especially the black woman. 
because she has consistently swept under the rug and overlooked. What are you most proud of accomplishing, you know, what you've accomplished and, and the words of wisdom that you're trying to pass along for other girls just like you? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing that I'm most proud of is I, I never lost sight of who I am. I think sometimes you kind of get caught in the spotlight, uh, but you kind of tend to forget that light that's within. And, and I'm just so happy that I can shine that light on so many young girls, especially the black girls that look like me, because we're not seen like that. If I can be out there and be seen, you can see her, you can be her. I'm a firm believer in that. So I think that's what I'm most proud of. Yes, I still have a lot of work to do. Yes, we still have a lot of work to do. But it just, you know, you put one foot in front of the other and continue to climb up that mountain to help others. How about other young girls that may be dealing with dyslexia? Uh, yeah. what, what, is your, what is your words to them? Um, my biggest words is just be you, uh, be true to you. I think that's, I lost myself in that because I thought it was a weakness. I thought it was a disability, but at the same time, you, you get what you put in, that's what you're going to get out. And that's my biggest message. Tell me about your foundation and how it's dedicated to helping individuals, families, and teachers create workarounds to deal with the dyslexia. Yeah, so when I graduated from college, I wanted to put my footprint in the dyslexic world because I'm like, this is something that needs to be said. And I started the foundation, and I think the biggest thing that I found out is the root. We got to get to the root, and that is a lot of teachers aren't certified to identify when a child has a learning disability. So I wanted to start the foundation to hopefully get certification for teachers to then be able to identify that child because growing up a lot of teachers just thought I was a lazy teenager that didn't want to study but at, at the end of the day I, I had a learning disability so it's shining a light on that is something that I really wanted to do and I wanted to make the foundation because it's not just about the child it's about the village that's behind the child so shining a light on all of that and making sure that the young ones know that they're not alone and uh, we're all in this together. So what tips can you give to parents maybe if they if they notice something what what should they be looking for um, I think the biggest thing, and I try to, and I also talk to my parents about that. The biggest thing is don't blame yourself. Uh, let let the child listen to your child, and that's the biggest thing. My mom said that she regret that she didn't listen to me early on, because once again she's like, Asia, why aren't you sitting for your test? And I'm like, I spent three hours trying to read one page. I'm trying to get it, and you sometimes you know your child. You're like, all right, you're slacking off, but at the same time, I think the biggest thing is just listening to your child. If they're struggling, they're trying to say something, and they're trying to tell you something, but I wish I could tell you pinpoint things of what screams out dyslexia, but it's really different within the child. Like with me, I could just, I just take a little more time. I, instead of getting a seven page test, I would get my test page by page by page. So it's all different things, but the biggest key for parents to do is just listen to your child. No, you got a great smile and I'm gonna bring it to your face right now. <laughs> Two Aussie doodles, ace and deuce, right? <laughs> yeah. So the loves of your life, I would say. Oh my God, they are me through and through. Yes, those are my two boys. <laughs> oh, that is great. I love the fact that you have Aussie Doodles. How can I get one? Where can I get one from? Oh my, listen, Premier Pups, that's where I got my two from and they're the okay. best. <laughs> do they have their own Instagram pages? Yeah, well, they're combined. Yes, they do have their Instagram pages. Ace and Deuce, they're the cutest. <laughs> All right, Ace and Deuce, they're the cutest. Well, you know what, Asia, I gotta, I gotta say thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Boomer Science, and I'll see you again real soon right here on Game Time.